This is John chapter 10 and verse 1 to 11. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. But those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pasture. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Thanks. I wonder if you were to go up to one of your friends and say to them, you're a sheep. How do you think they would respond? Some of them would probably look at you rather confused in the same way you're looking at me right now. Not really sure whether to be offended or not. Others might say, really? Is that the best that you've got to offer? Couldn't you insult me a little bit better than that? Try harder. Why not a weasel or a snake or maybe any other animal would do, but really? A sheep? Yet in John chapter 10, the passage that Rachel just read to us, it's one of the books in the New Testament that tells the story of Jesus. This is exactly how Jesus is describing people. However, he's not trying to offend them, but I do think he's right. See, I've thought about this. I've had sort of time to think about this, and I have come to the conclusion that all too often I behave just like a sheep. For starters, I've got this hopeless sense of direction. When I go out running, I very often take the wrong turn. One time I do my usual trick, I leave my phone at home, I go out for my run and, and I take this wrong turn and, I, and I'm not quite sure exactly where I am. Now common sense would tell me to stop and ask someone for directions, but oh no. I just keep on running and thinking, I'm just hoping I'll find that right way home. On that particular day, I end up in Delamere Forest Park, about 10 miles further than I'd planned to run, and now at least I know exactly where I am, except, except I've still got no idea which way it is to go home. So I'm standing in the middle of this forest in the pouring rain, and every single path and every single tree looks absolutely identical. I feel lost. I'm, I'm sort of cold. I'm angry. I feel foolish. It's really quite quite a humbling experience. And yet, even though I run past a number of other people, I'm still too proud to admit defeat and ask anyone for help. Why? Because I'm a sheep. 
The truth is it started at a very early age for me. My mum tells a story about me and my twin brother when we were three years old. And we had, we'd been left playing in a little wall part of the garden and mum and dad were doing some stuff in the office. And a few minutes, after a few minutes there, where things have gone very quiet. Now, if you've got children, you know that's the time you should be worrying most. So they went outside to look to see where we are. We are nowhere to be seen. They check the gate. It's still locked. They, they search inside the house in case we've come back in again. We can't be found. By now they're starting to panic and, and mum runs down to the main road to see if we've gone down there. Dad goes into the, into the farmyard to check that out and there's still no trace of us. By this stage, they're beginning to think the worst. They jump into their car and they drive around the farm. 20 minutes later, they see, they see us. Two little blue anoraks running around a field chasing after some calves. And somehow we have managed to climb over a four-foot wall, cross two fields, over another road, into this field. And we are quite happy just chasing calves round in circles. We're not even bothered. We don't even know we're lost. Of course, it probably wouldn't be long before that would almost certainly have changed. But in that moment, that temporary excitement of running after calves was all we wanted. Who wouldn't? Why? Because I am a sheep, and so is my brother. You see that old saying that goes, the grass is always greener on the other side? That that desire to want more starts at a, at a very young age. And, and even now, I can look at the lives of other people, and I can think that their life looks just better than mine and, and, and seems easier than mine, and I want what they, what they have. Why? Because I am a sheep. I'm easily distracted. I'm easily led. So I can identify with what it says in the Old Testament part of the Bible in Isaiah 53 and verse 6. It says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And, and, and this is the point that Jesus is making here in John chapter 10. See, the bottom line is, I am a sheep and so are you. That's, that's what we're like. I live with a desire to do things my way, and if you're anything like me, you really hate to admit that you are wrong. And, and, and such a desire is, is rooted in pride, and the Bible tells us it's, it's rebellion and sinful. And at the same time, we allow our hearts to be captivated by anything that will bring us even some just temporary pleasure. Again, this is an act of, of selfishness and, and sinfulness. And whether it's pride or whether it's deliberate sin, the result is still the same. And it all too, it all too often leads to disaster and to disappointment and to unhappiness and even hurt. And, and deep down, deep down we know there must be a better way. So as Jesus creates this picture where people are sheep and, and Jesus is the shepherd. He is, he's making a very radical statement. He is saying that I am the better way. And what, which is basically what, what Jesus means when he compares himself to the shepherd, when he says, I am the good shepherd who give his life for the sheep. 
But in verses 7 through to 10, Jesus makes an even stranger statement. He says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. And all who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep do not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely, and they will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to, to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, I probably need to give you a little bit of background to understand why that statement is so radical, so stay with me for a moment. You see, it's no, it's no accident that Jesus uses the words, I am. So even though it might not mean or seem not very important to you today, it would have been very significant to the listeners of Jesus um, when he first said them. You see, he, he's making a claim that he is God. Because every time he uses this phrase, I am, Jesus is saying that he is the powerful one, the almighty, the eternal, the all-knowing creator of our universe and everything else. It comes from the Old Testament. There's a man called Moses. Most of you may have heard of him who encountered God in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. And if you've seen that animated film, The Prince of Egypt, it tells this story of Moses. It's with a little bit of poetic license, I've got to admit. But, but when God reveals himself to Moses, he tells him his personal name. And God declares, I am who I am. The one, the only God. I am speaks of the the holiness of God, of the power of God, a God who reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush, who leads and shepherds his people out of Egypt. And in doing so, he shows his power, his authority, his strength, his, his, and, and he uses his immeasurable supply, his inexhaustible arsenal of unlimited resources to do so. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I am the gate. He identifies himself as having divine authority. In essence, he is saying, I am God, and I'm Lord of, of all. But in calling himself the gate, that, that very thing that brings the sheep into the safety of a sheep pen and also brings them back out into a place where they can be fed and nourished, he is the one who protects. In fact, whoever enters in through the gate, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 9, will be saved. So coming in through the gate, that gate which is Jesus, is this picture of the better way, a, a, way, a way to be safe and to be saved, a way to be safe and to be saved. And Jesus is a place of safety, and knowing him brings abundant life, which is exactly what Jesus means when he says very clearly in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, unlike the greener grass, 
that we perceive from the lifestyles of the rich and famous or the internal selfish drive within each one of us to have loads of money or fame or that devastating downward spiral of sin that, that just is fueled by, by pride, but which never fully satisfies Jesus speaks into all of those things. So even, even though we may have let God down, maybe even let other people down, he says, he says, I am the one that you're looking for. I am both the good shepherd who leads you, but also the gate that shows you the way. So the question we need to be asking ourselves, I think, is this. Have we found the right way and gone through the only gate that will eternally satisfy. Now, I don't think I've ever met anybody yet who doesn't want to be happy. Do you ever wonder why you, you crave pleasure so much, why you seek after things to fill your life, to, to make you happy? Well, it's simply God has given you and, and created those desires within you, and your desire for happiness is normal. You should never be ashamed of it, but the problem comes when we when we seek happiness in the wrong place. You see, there, there are far too many paths that seem to promise so much, but they lead to addiction, to destruction, to emptiness. As I've said already, temporary, temporary pleasure will never, will never satisfy, but it will control. So what is the answer? I want to suggest to you this morning that there is only one answer. You need to find the gate. You need to know the Good Shepherd. You need to meet with Jesus. After I left university, I, I did my pre-reg year in, as an optician in Belfast. And the group, I, the group of people I worked with, they, they loved, to, loved to party, and fr from time to time I would go out with them. I didn't, didn't drink alcohol, and they thought this was great. I just became the designated driver. And they were, they were a, just a lively bunch of people, but one of the ladies in particular was just the life and the soul of the party. And while we were out, I would often get a chance. They'd often bring up the subject of Jesus. They knew I was a Christian, so they'd often want to talk about that. And I would, be, I would pray for, for them and, and just talk to them to respond to questions they had about Jesus. And, and she was interested. But probably about a year later, she walked into work one day, completely unexpected, and announced that she had become a Christian. And she was just radiant. She, she, she was beaming with joy. Jesus Jesus had changed her life, and the change and the testimony was so obvious that it made this massive impact on her family, upon her friends, so much so that, that a number of people that she knew, some of her family members, some of the other people that we both worked with became Christians. But my favorite part of the story is about a girl called Deidre, who also worked with us, and she was watching everything that God was, was doing, and a few weeks went past, and she started to come along to a, a little Bible study group that we were having in work, and she asked lots of questions. And then one day, she came to me, and she said, how do I become a Christian? I explained to her, it's, it's really simple, as simple as A, B, C. So you need to A, admit that you need help. 
Admit that you've done wrong things. Admit that you are a sinner. And then B, believe that Jesus is the answer, that, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He, he took every single one of them, and by, through faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven, but also that he, he rose again, that Jesus is alive. And then, see, you come to him. You turn from your sins. The Bible gives a bit of a bigger word for it called repentance, but you turn from your sins, from your pride. You follow him, and you confess him to be Lord. And then she said to me, how will I know? And I thought for a moment, and I just simply said to her, you will know when you ask him, he will reveal himself to you. I'd normally actually pray for someone in that moment, but this is a busy office, and so I told her to, to go home and to pray to God. I'd give her a little booklet, just something a little bit like this. There's a little prayer in the back of it, and got a phone call about 9 p.m. that evening. It was Deidre on the phone, and she is half laughing, half crying, and, and all she can say to me is, I know. I know. And that evening in her bedroom, she had met with Jesus, and he had performed a, a deep work of grace. She just knew his love within her life. And what Jesus did for Deidre, he can do, and has done for many others, he can do for you because, because he is the gate. He is the good shepherd who give his life for you. Find him, and you will find life. Listen, you don't become a Christian by agreeing to a set of rules or by following some moral code or even by feeling spiritual. You become a Christian by meeting a person. You receive Jesus as your shepherd, your rescuer, your Lord, your King. And, and you're, you're not a Christian because you are good or even because you are spiritual. Just have a look around the room. <laughs> We're a good example of that. You don't even become a Christian because you're knowledgeable. You're a Christian because you know Jesus. He is the only way that leads to everlasting joy. And, and so today, I, I want to encourage you and say to you that Jesus is enough. He offers sufficient hope and joy that will keep your soul satisfied. Jesus, only Jesus, is enough for now and forever. A guy called Jonathan Edwards. He died a long time ago, but he, what he writes is, is quite poetic. But he says this In Jesus, the longing soul may be satisfied, and the hungry soul may be filled with goodness. The delight and the contentment that is found here passeth understanding and is unspeakable and full of glory. It's impossible for those who have ever tasted of this fountain and know the sweetness of it ever to be forsaken. The soul has found the river of water of life, and it desires no other drink. It has found the tree of life, and it desire, desires no other fruit. And Jesus is the one that you are looking for, and actually you can know him today. 
You can by just coming and just putting your trust in Him. It, it means acknowledging that you need Him. It means repenting, turning from your sins, allowing Him to be in charge of your life. So I'm just going to pray with us. You want to bow your heads? Just I'm going to just a very short prayer. And if you want to pray with me, it's just a short prayer of talking to God, maybe admitting that you need Him. Why not just quietly join in with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for me and for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen.